Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. And we are up and running again, screaming from the sidelines. Episode number 34. March Madness had four crazy days. I guess you could call it six if you want to count the first four. And now we had three days off, and it's about to get going once again. And I'm not just here alone today. I've got a fantastic guest here. He is somebody who has – I mean, he's an accomplished basketball coach. He's a recruiter. He has forgotten more about the game than all of our listeners know combined. He has been a crucial piece on the coaching staff at numerous different colleges, just was the interim coach at Boston College last year, a scout for the 76ers back in 2001, and he has sent five unranked recruits to the NBA. So how about that? Let me bring him in. It is Coach Scott Spinelli. Thanks for joining the show. I'm stoked. Thanks for having me, Greg, and thanks for the kind introduction. Uh, Great to be here with you today. Oh, it's, I'm always happy to talk hoops, especially with everything we just witnessed in the last week. And, oh, man, like, I, I want to make sure we focus on the games ahead rather than get lost discussing the first two rounds. But context is always important. And I love March Madness so much because no matter how much knowledge anybody has about college basketball or knows a particular team, or any of the types of stats or trends that get tossed out there as holding a lot of weight, The fact of the matter is nobody knows anything about anything. And I know we were all surprised. Now, what I do want to ask you first is that were there any upsets through the first two rounds that didn't surprise you? You know, I I think the Princeton game against Arizona was a game that we had called. And and look, so much of these games in the NCAA tournament, as you know, Greg, they're about matchups. And Princeton, the style of play in which they – um, they actually present a very unique challenge. A team like Arizona, who wants to increase possessions, go up and down the floor. Princeton, who has four guys who have made 60 or more threes during the season, will play at a pace that will limit possessions. And usually the formula in games like that is for a team like Princeton to make shots late in the clock. It, it kind of diffuses or takes away the uh, opposition's energy. And then all of a sudden, Arizona will come back and shoot quick. Now they're going to play defense for 30 plus seconds. So I think that game uh, definitely was not a surprise. And again, I I think there's other games here. We liked Miami. uh, And I'm not sure that was an upset, but we thought that they were going to do really well, um, you know, in the tournament. I think they're going to face a tough Houston team here. But um, that was a game that we kind of kept our eye on. We liked Creighton uh, quite a bit just because, again, they've got numerous weapons from the three point line. Um, I mean, those are the t- those are the games that really kind of set up. Look, I, we didn't pick Fairleigh Dickinson, unfortunately, um, in any of the games, but they had a tremendous win, made it for a lot of a lot of fun and excitement this first weekend. Oh, yeah, it was fantastic. And uh, I have close ties to people who are Arizona fans, and I know one of their big fears was that they are the type of team that can play up to their competition. They beat UCLA twice this year. They beat Creighton. They beat Tennessee. But they've also had moments of playing down to their competition, and Princeton really threw them off at the end of the game. It looked like nobody really wanted to shoot, and that was quite an upset. I mean, fairly Dickinson, they won four games last year, and they come in, their tallest player is like 6'6", 6'7", and somehow they make Zach Eady 
I know he didn't have a terrible game necessarily, and it wasn't all his fault, but still you'd think that Purdue should have just ran away with that one. And we saw one of the best upsets we've ever seen in tournament history. So uh, look, I mean, you're someone who already knows the game so well. Do you feel like you learned anything new from these first couple rounds? Well, I think as a coach, you can always learn something watching the game of basketball. But I think what's becoming crystal clear is this. With all of the kids that lost a year because of the COVID, meaning they gave the kids in college an extra year, we lost a whole generation of student athletes who lost out on opportunities. And those kids that had the extra COVID year were a year older. And then you combine that with the transfer portal. Every coach in college has this mindset that they want to get old. And I think it became very clear in this tournament, whether you are a program that has been built with kids within Michigan State. Yeah, they've got some transfers, but for the most part, they're built within UCLA, uh, Gonzaga. Uh, And then you have other teams that were kind of built like that with the transfer portal, Kansas State. I mean, they got a whole host or a whole load of transfers. Miami, you know, brought in a lot of transfers, even though they had some continuity. And so what you're seeing is a level, a little bit more of a level playing field because teams in this tournament who have gotten old have an advantage, again, 24, 25-year-old players against 18, 19-year-old kids. There's a big difference. So I think that became very clear to me uh, in this particular NCAA tournament. Yeah, we're still reeling with some of the effects of COVID. I know it feels like in the distant past and everybody wants to forget about it at this point, but especially in college athletics, that is one of the big areas where the pandemic continues to have an impact like that. I mean, I think Pitt and Drake were two teams that had starting lineups that were older than some NBA starting lineups out there. They did. Yeah, they did. And, you know, the Drake team, you know, we had we thought coming into the tournament, they were going to be a very difficult out. Uh, you know, we've talked about my both my boys play Division One basketball. One plays in the Valley at Evansville. So I saw the Valley in teams like Drake all year. The problem was Drake, uh, as good as they are defensively, as, as well coached as they are, as old as they were, Miami <laughs> – is equally as old in experience. And again, Miami was very fortunate to win that game. If it wasn't for the press late where they created some offense through their defense, I think Drake uh, might've moved on. But again, to your point, I mean, you, you want to get old as a coach, you want that experience. And I think that's every coach's mindset uh, when they're building a program. That Miami Drake game was one of the hardest picks for me to make in the first round. And I ultimately went with an upset pick in Drake and I was almost right. I mean, I was thinking that my logic behind it was if they could just cause Miami to get out of rhythm a little bit with that defense, they weren't a team that really turned the ball over. And I love that about them. And the irony in all that is that it all went to plan in the blueprint, but then they did turn the ball over with Miami's press late. So just goes to show you never really know on any given day, but that was a fun one. That was. And, you know, looking ahead, Greg, this matchup that Miami has now going into the first round, the Sweet 16, you know, um, versus a Houston team, they're going to face a similar type defense, except Houston might be bigger. 
<laughs> stronger and even more athletic. And if Sasser's healthy, uh, again, I think Miami uh, against a team that's that good defensively, a team that's going to get up and really pressure the ball, a team that's very, very well disciplined, a team that finishes possessions with rebounds. I think that is kind of going to be a problem for Miami in this game versus Houston. Yeah, we're going to get deep into all eight matchups coming up. And before I get to any of the specifics and go down that Thursday and Friday slate, we know that you have a great history of evaluating talent and then developing that talent into NBA caliber players. So before we get into each game, I just want to ask, are there any particular players you've got your eye on as we look ahead? Well, the young man, Dylan Dessou, Dessou from Texas, to me is a guy that really uh, is a kid that you really got to keep an eye on here. And here's why. First of all, if you kind of watch his efficiency and, you know, you look at his statistics and what he's been able to accomplish. I mean, he's a player that is kind of a throwback from the standpoint he doesn't need the ball in his hands uh, in terms of someone that can be very productive and efficient, meaning this, you know, most times you're, you're watching a guy that has the ball in their hands and they showcase their skills, their ability. But when you're building a team, whether it's in college and in the NBA, you want to have guys that understand how to play without the basketball. He's a very unique type of player. One that is a, you know, a pick and pop guy that has just got tremendous uh, craftiness around the basket. He's got those floaters. Um, you know, he can get his shot down there in a variety of ways. When he does pick and pop, you know, he can up fake one or two dribbles. Uh, he uses the glass. He's just very skillful uh, around the basket. I, I think, and then you add the fact that he rebounds the ball so well and he's versatile, meaning that you can switch multiple positions with him. I think that's something that's very important in this modern day NBA is that versatility. Um, but he's a guy that you definitely got to keep an eye on. And look, Brandon Miller is the prototypical type NBA player from Alabama. Uh, again, a versatile, skilled player. Um, you know, he's much more offensively complete in terms of being a guy that can step out, consistently make the three. He's great in transition. Uh, he's long. He's athletic. Um, again, his skill and his versatility make him a prototypical type, perfect NBA type guy. And there's another guy that I think you got to keep an eye on. And that is the kid. Look, Drew Timmy is a guy that although he might not pass the eye look um, again, you know, you think about Jodges Niang, who's from the Boston area and how he was a guy that, you know, you saw in high school, but his skill set and what he was able to accomplish um, from prep school, excuse me, high school to college, then to the NBA, Timmy, you know, again, very similar, his skill set. Um, you know, he's a guy that's going to probably break an NCAA record here in terms of how many 20 point games he's had. And, you know, again, and he's the kind of the figure or the, that, you know, the, the kind of the, at the, the top of where uh, Gonzaga is in terms of the, the showpiece. I mean, he's really somebody playing very well right now. And I like this Gonzaga team because of Timmy. I got a text from one of my friends a couple of nights ago that said, "Does is it just me or does it feel like Drew Timmy has been in college for eight years now? And then another one of our friends chimed in and reminded everyone that he's got another year of eligibility, but he said he would already <laughs> declare. So <laughs> Drew Timmy, Mr. Mustache. Uh, yeah, we got great games ahead. In fact, well, I guess we'll just go down the list and start with the Thursday. So tomorrow – 
We got seven seed Michigan State and three seed Kansas State. Michigan State over Marquette was actually one of two upsets I picked that I was very proud of. I made a lot of bad picks, but I was one of the ones that I was feeling good about and it came through. Now, the name Tom Izzo gets mentioned every 20 seconds on the television broadcast, so I'm only going to say it once. But his team did take down Marquette. Kansas State, meanwhile, rolled past Kentucky. Their great story continues. Keontae Johnson, in particular, continues to get more and more inspiring with what he did. But they really earned this Sweet 16 appearance and deserve to be taken seriously. So when you look at K-State and Michigan State, you get a team that is got this tournament pedigree, and then another team that's kind of rebuilt their program and surprised everybody now coming together and clashing. What do you like about this matchup looking ahead? Well, first, let's talk about Michigan State, right? Here's a team or here's a coach that really, if you really were in dialed in and watching them, he holds his players accountable. I think the word accountability um, is something that is quite obvious when you watch Michigan State. And here's why. When you watch them throughout the season, the fact that Coach Izzo holds those guys accountable, he holds them to a standard of excellence. What what happens is they might lose a game or two because he's trying to get those guys to understand that, you know, there's a certain standard that they have to live up to and play to. And I think what happens is as a coach, you're telling your players starting in the fall with workouts all the way through practices up until this point of the year. It's all about getting better. And I think Michigan State just continues to get better. And because of that accountability, because of that standard of excellence he keeps, he he preaches or makes his players adhere to, when it comes tournament time, Michigan State is a whole different animal. They're playing their best basketball because they've gotten better all year. So you have two programs, culture, Michigan State, K-State, which is a you know, Coach Tang's done an incredible job in his staff at putting together a team uh, with free agency, really, because they all, they got the job so late. They got a lot of transfers one year, et cetera. But you got to give them credit to be able to get those guys to uh, assume their roles, blend them in as a unit. Um, the camaraderie seems to be there. But you have culture against team, right? One, that one-year team or that team that was put together with camaraderie, chemistry. Yeah, Michigan State's got some transfers, but they've been there a couple years. So if you're asking me, I would take culture over a team, uh, especially a Coach Izzo team. I really like Michigan State to move on. Yeah, I think Michigan State will be a fantastic pick. But, uh, I mean – Kind of two teams. In fact, Kansas State, like I said, they earned it and they were underdogs going in to the game against Kentucky, which I mean, Kentucky didn't make the Sweet 16 again. I think it's another example of tournament pedigree team that plays their best basketball often in March. We won't talk about the last two years for the Wildcats, but it happens to everybody. Even the best in Purdue and Virginia will be the first ones to tell you that. So I'm really looking forward to this game. I think Kansas State is gritty. They shouldn't be counted out. But uh, looking ahead in the bracket, I probably was leaning Michigan State on this one as well, especially the way they just controlled the game against Marquette. Now, another team that kind of reminds me a little bit of Michigan State and that they were struggling and now they're playing their best basketball and they have a coach who is awesome to watch and undoubtedly does a great job. That is Arkansas. 
beating Kansas, the defending national champs are the eight seed, and they are playing against the number four seed, UConn. I love this because I'm fully on the must bus, but UConn is another team that the public believes can make a run at the title even before the tournament started. So a lot of firepower in this one. Uh, I would love to see Arkansas continue this great run, but I don't know. Getting past UConn is going to be tough. What are your thoughts on this one? Well, first of all, let's, I kind of want to make reference to coach Musselman because it's almost like he's becoming that um, coach Izzo of the SEC in terms of getting his teams to play their best basketball come the NCAA tournament. And for me, I will agree with you on this. I think UConn is exceptionally talented. They're very deep. Um, they've got ridiculous experience at multiple positions. They've got guys who played in the ACC when I was coaching. Alane, who was a star at Vatek, went to Memphis, who doesn't see that many minutes. Hassan Diara, who went to Texas A&M, comes off the bench. So they've got all the firepower, all the depth, all the versatility and experience and size, great size. Here's my only concern with the University of Connecticut, and that is this, live ball turnovers. There's a big difference between turning the ball over when it goes out of bounds as opposed to a live ball turnover that the opposition then can create some offense through their defense. I think that's the storyline. I think if Arkansas creates some turnovers, and I do think they're going to, um, I think Arkansas continues on this magical ride. As much as I can tell you, I think Connecticut is incredibly talented. I just think right now Arkansas is playing their best basketball. And I think, again, with with some time off to prep, I really like Arkansas in this game. Coaching is a big deal when you have those extra four to five days off, and that's what they got. It wasn't just the one day off. Uh, Arkansas, I think that they're going to be so fun to watch, and they always seem to make some noise whether they win or not. I know they've had – was it two elite eights or then they uh, they almost beat Gonzaga in the last year, but they didn't if I or did they beat Gonzaga? Now I'm now I'm just losing my mind. I you know what? I'm just thinking back to the whether they might have. I don't, I'm not sure. You'd have to. I just think that they've obviously, as you said, they've played well when it comes to the NCAA tournament and they, they really do propose a threat to get to the final four every year. Yeah, and there was some stat that, again, stats don't mean anything in March Madness because Kansas, I think, when they had an eight or larger lead at halftime, they were 47-0 and in tournament history, and Arkansas was down by double digits at one point and fought all the way back and won that game in pretty crazy fashion. So I love it. I think it's going to be a great game, and turnovers is a great storyline because that is one of the statistics that I like to look at heading into the tournament. Uh, it doesn't always pan out. It's not a direct teller. Like I thought Kent State was a potential upset pick because of how well they took care of the basketball and it didn't really materialize against Indiana. But then you have teams like Drake that at the turnovers, it really did serve them well until they just went out of their old habits at the very end and Miami got the better of them. We have what is a rather unlikely matchup here in the Sweet 16 and that is Florida Atlantic University against Tennessee at nine versus a four. And FAU has only made the tournament one other time, and that was in 2002 as a 15 seed. Meanwhile, Tennessee has the propensity to come up short in March, at least speaking in men's basketball. 
But here they are. They got past Duke, which many people, myself included, did not expect. Let me ask you this, Coach. Is a blowout on the horizon with the way Tennessee plays defense? No. Here's what I think about Tennessee. First of all, let's give credit from a coaching standpoint. Um, you know, the I liked Duke. I am not going to, you know, um, sugarcoat it. I thought Duke was going to make a deep run this year. Um, and you got to look at Tennessee and give them the credit. Every great defense, man to man, starts with pressure on the basketball. Tennessee's pressure on the ball was very fundamentally sound and intense. And then they have those big bodied guys. When you're teaching an airplane technique where you're when you're young, you play that airplane game, your arms are way out and you're running with the ball. Tennessee fundamentally was bumping them with their chest and then their hips. And Duke was bumped off a lot of their dribble drives, et cetera. But again, it's really not a foul. I mean, fundamentally, that's what you teach your guys. And with those kind of physical bodies, obviously Duke really kind of, I think Duke struggled against that physicality. Again, Duke's very young. I give Tennessee all the credit. But let me just say, in this game, I think first team to 50 wins the game. I think it's going to be an absolute defensive uh, slugfest. Um, I think Florida Atlantic does have enough uh, to possibly beat them. Um, Tennessee does have a lot of experienced guys who have been within the program. It took a tough hit with their point guard going down. Uh, and I think that's kind of what maybe uh, wiped out their seating or at least been, you know, maybe probably been a little bit better off in terms of even their completion of what they had as a team. But with that identity defensively and that physicality in Florida Atlantic, they're no slouch now defensively. They really get after you. They've got tremendous rotations. They're very well drilled in their closeout situations, whether they're short closeouts or long. Um, but I just think this game is going to come down to physicality. I'm going to go out on a limb and pick Florida Atlantic. Okay. I like that. And let me ask you one more thing about Florida Atlantic, because I know they made a little bit of a splash by going for that big dunk at the end of the game, running out the clock against Fairleigh Dickinson. I know publicly coaches are always like, yeah, I'm going to talk to them. Tobin Anderson was upset. And then, you know, they, how are those kind of situations really handled internally? Or have you ever had to deal with something like that? Look, Again, for me, and again, I'm speaking for me as a coach, in that, you know, look, it's a competitive uh, moment, right? Everybody's heated. You know, the stakes are high. Um, So much of the NCAA tournament, what makes this tournament so special is when you have so many players, so many kids on the team, coaches, their families, the, the, the alumni, the students, everybody's pulling for one another. And there's really nothing like it in sports. I mean, you don't get that kind of support. And I mean, again, from everywhere uh, when it comes to the NCAA tournament. Right. So I think, again, you know, the intensity side, the competitive spirit comes out. But for me, it's a kid. You know, the game was over. It wasn't like they were trying to, you know, rub it in their face. I just think, again, the competitive side, the excitement might have gotten to them. And remember, as you know, Greg, these are kids. They're kids. And so sometimes, again, you can't control emotions. But I don't think there was any ill intent there at all uh, in what he did. Yeah, I wouldn't say so. And I think that, unfortunately, for his sake, 
It didn't help that he was doing that against what became America's team in the second 16 seed to ever pull off the upset. But I would agree with you. It's not something that I would actually get angry at the kid for, but I can see how fans who are neutral and just supporting or fairly Dickinson themselves might've been a little upset in the moment because like you said, it's so heated and there's so much emotion. I feel like the world cup is probably the only other sporting event that galvanizes that kind of energy. And it's a little more rare because it comes once out of every four years, but this is a more regular thing. And each year it's so different, so unique, but you always know it's going to bring out the best in every single year. I seem to forget heading into that like March 10th, 11th range with selection Sunday. I always forget how incredibly fired up I get just getting to watch from the couch and talking about it from a podcast studio. Right. <laughs> You're not alone, Greg. You're not alone. <laughs> oh, very much not alone. And the last game on that Thursday slate is one that's got some good history to it. It is Drew Timmy and Gonzaga going against UCLA. It's a 3-2 matchup. I think UCLA is great, but I am concerned that at some point before the finale, they're going to miss Jalen Clark. And I don't know if that's going to be this game or not, but Gonzaga has now made it to eight straight sweet 16s. I mentioned the history. You have the Jalen Suggs game. You got the Adam Morrison game. And Adam Morrison, by the way, was one of my, it was like my first favorite basketball player because I too am type one diabetic. So uh, it's good to see him back in the AT&T one shining moment commercial. But all that aside, we got to focus on what's here in front of us in 2023. UCLA is a really popular champion pick going around the country heading into the tournament. But you said you really like this Gonzaga team. What are you looking at ahead in a very history and emotionally filled matchup? I, again, I think you said it. First of all, again, we're talking about two teams that are very well cultured. Um, you know, they're two programs that are so well coached. Um, they obviously have tremendous balance in their recruiting classes and year in and year out. I mean, they've got an identity. Both teams will get after you defensively. They play the right way offensively, meaning they don't just get good shots. They get great shots. Um, and they have so many players out there who are trying to help their team win, uh, in so many different ways, sometimes not maybe measured through statistics. So, uh, very, very interesting matchup. Look, I love UCLA and I feel bad that, you know, Jalen Clark went down. I think that's a, you know, that's something that they're obviously going to miss at some point. Um, I think Hami Hakez and obviously Tiger Clark and what those guys have done throughout their time um, at at UCLA. um, They are guys that, again, star power. They understand they've been here before, at least in this, you know, this venue on this big stage. So I think they're going to play exceptionally well. There's just something telling me this year. And again, I don't know if it's because of Gonzaga not having that, maybe that top NBA draft choice, or maybe that not having a one seed uh, with all the expectations and the pressure, you know, again, they're kids. And sometimes you get that added pressure when the game gets tight, especially in these sweet 16 elite eight games, you feel it. And I don't think Gonzaga's feeling that pressure right now. There's just something that again, for me, um, and it's really nothing from an X's and O's standpoint or personnel. I just feel like this is Gonzaga's time. Um, I think they're going to, um, you know, in a really hard-fought game, I think they're going to edge UCLA, and I think they're going to move on. 
Gonzaga and Houston are the two teams that are so interesting and unlike any other in recent tournament history because they do not play in the strongest conferences, but we know they are very good because they have achieved at a high level time and time again. So it's not that you can't take them seriously when you look at how their schedule might not be as competitive as some of the other teams in the country. But when you're looking at the year to year and then game to game basis in the tournament, you just don't exactly know what to expect. But I like this angle on Gonzaga that they've had a lot of top seeds, a lot of pressure. They have made it to the sweet 16 for eight straight times. So for all the narrative that they are chokers, they do find a way to perform somewhat. And you can argue that yes, in certain years, they probably underachieved by that standard, not getting to an, another final four or winning a national title. They did get there twice. And I know Baylor blew them out the last time, but this is not a team that you just can assume is going to be done. I had a hard time picking this game in my bracket. I ultimately went with UCLA, but after watching the first two rounds, I really feel like it's a coin flip and I hate to take the easy way out, but you know, for prediction sake on the show, I'll probably stick with my original pick, but I wouldn't be surprised if you were right, coach. So that's going to be a big one. It's, it's the final game on Thursday. So it'll be great for all the West coast folks at night. And then on Friday, we've still got four more games and that starts with San Diego state versus Alabama. And you talk about Brandon Miller being a stereotypical prototypical NBA type player, complete offensive package. I don't want to bring all the Brandon Miller drama into the show and have to speak on end for minutes and minutes and minutes, but I do think it's worth discussing. And Dakota London of sports illustrated wrote last week that Miller will be accompanied by a security guard throughout the tournament after receiving death threats. So the noise that has occurred around Brandon Miller is a lot for a 20-year-old to handle, especially when he's trying to achieve the highest honor on the national stage. In his first game, he went scoreless, but Alabama blew out the 16. And then against Maryland, he had 19 points, seven rebounds, and looked like a completely different player. Now, the question I would like to ask you, having a lot of direct experience coaching college kids, Brandon Miller is 20 years old. Do you think that this type of pressure and outside noise will eventually catch up to him before the tournament is over? I do. Uh, First of all, again, Greg, let's go back to the one seeds. I've never seen a tournament with so many storylines behind the one seeds, right? Obviously, you know, you feel for Kansas coach self. He was sick, didn't get a chance to even coach. Obviously, Purdue, you know, the way they play, their identity, they're not going to change up with personnel, smaller five men. Um, Again, you know, that was the storyline. Then you had, you know, we talked about um, Houston. If Sasser's healthy, they're the most complete team, I think, on both ends. Is he healthy? And then obviously we'll talk about Alabama and the distractions that are going around. To your point, young kids, Greg. Again, I think for the first time in this tournament, Alabama is going to go through some adversity in this game. They're going to get tested. San Diego State is big, big, they're rugged, they're physical, um, they're seasoned vets. And what is going to happen 
in this tournament or in this game when Alabama goes through adversity? To your point, are the distractions, are those things going to rear their head and their team is going to kind of break apart? Or are they so well connected that even through a little bit of adversity, which, again, they're going to face in this game with San Diego State, uh, are they going to come together as a unit? And so for me, that's the big question. I honestly got to tell you, I think in this game, I think the the adversity, the distractions, I think it could pull Alabama apart. And that's why I think San Diego State right now is a team that you really got to look for for an upset here. I would agree with you on this front. And you could argue that San Diego State had a little bit of an easier path getting Furman instead of Virginia in my original bracket, I had Alabama losing in this round to Virginia. So don't come to me if you're looking for a genius. But I had kind of a similar thought process as you coach that Alabama could get to this point in the tournament. I thought a defense like Virginia's could cause a little bit of problems and a little bit of stress. I don't know how this team will respond to adversity. And San Diego State is very much a legitimate Sweet 16 Team, You can say they didn't have the hardest path on paper, but do they deserve to be at this point in the tournament? Yes, absolutely. Could they make it to the Elite Eight justified? Absolutely. They could go to the Final Four. I think they are a very talented team and everything is up for grabs at this point. Now, Alabama, if they play like they did against Maryland, where they start to create a little separation and everything's going their way and Brandon Miller and others are finding their groove, Maybe this won't be a close game, but it's the adversity test that you are talking about that I am so curious to see how Alabama responds, because if it doesn't happen in this round, it will happen before the finale. It's a great point, Greg. I I'm totally agree with you. And that yet to be determined. I agree with you. Another five versus one matchup is Miami versus Houston. Houston was my original pick to win it all. Even with Sasser getting hurt, I thought he'd still be able to play. Now it is a big question mark. Like you said, I believe they are the most complete team and Kelvin Sampson has shown over the past six years that Houston can do some serious damage in the tournament. They have a backcourt that have, you know, shed and Sasser have two very different skill sets, but they're both great leaders. And then they've, they're just complete all around. And even last game down 10 at halftime to Auburn, And then they outscore them by 25 in the second half. And this is while Sasser's in foul trouble. So they were undefeated on the road for a reason. They are incredibly poised, but Sasser's health is the big question mark. And Miami is not a tough out. Now, if you look at Houston, if they even win this game, it is a pretty rough path ahead. You're either getting uh, UCLA, Xavier, then, or no, it's uh, UCLA possibly in the final four, and then Texas Xavier in the elite eight. And then on the other side, who knows, maybe that is in Alabama in the end, but for the sake of focusing on this matchup, Miami, Isaiah Wong and Jordan Miller collectively struggled against Drake. Uh, Had it not been for Drake's dry spell at the end, Miami wouldn't be here, but against Indiana, they were a completely different duo. They had a fantastic offensive attack. And then they ran Indiana out of the gym in the final 15 minutes of the game. So A lot of explosiveness when I look at these two rosters up and down. Are you sticking with Houston as your most complete team pick? 
I am, Greg. Uh, look, I love Miami. We called Miami as a team early on in the early rounds was a team that was going to be dangerous here, you know, heading into the, you know, we thought they'd get here. We really did. We thought they'd be right where they're at. Now, it was all coming down to whether Houston was going to be healthy enough, you know, to, to get to where they're at. And again, maybe this time off probably helps Houston more than any other team in the tournament, getting Sasser some treatment. I'm sure it's around the clock and trying to get him as close to 100% as you can. But again, when you start taking, um, you know, a look back to what happened with Drake versus Miami, again, that pressure on the basketball defensively, the way they guarded Wong and how physical they were up underneath him, there was nothing easy that Miami got that night. And to your point, um, you know, if it wasn't for the press where Miami was able to create some opportunities offensively, some easy baskets, we wouldn't even be talking about this game right now. It would be probably be Drake. So I do think Houston presents another huge challenge for Miami because of their physicality. They're fundamentally so sound defensively. Again, they're sound with the basketball. They don't turn it over. They're bigger. They're stronger. They're faster. They're more athletic. And they're even deeper than Drake. And so, again, when you start thinking about the offensive side of the ball, them being one of the top assisted turnover teams in their conference, one of the best three-point shooting teams, and with all that talent, I think Houston, with Sasser healthy, I think they move on. And that is the big question mark, of course, if Sasser is going to look like himself. But I can't imagine that having five days off is going to be a bad thing for this group. I agree with you that they probably need it more than any other team, which is almost ironic to say, because heading into the team, they are heading into the tournament. Rather, they seemed like one of the most complete teams, but it's their top scorer and their best player for a reason. So, oh, man. OK, so we got two more. and. The first one is very much the most unlikely matchup of the Sweet 16. It is Princeton versus Creighton. And I actually like the fact that these two teams face off because you mentioned, Coach, Princeton has a lot of guys that make threes and they don't play at a very fast pace. Creighton, meanwhile, is a little bit more of an explosive offensive attack. They just lit up the stat sheet against Baylor and beat Baylor at their own game, essentially. So. Does the Princeton magical run have any realistic hope of continuing in your eyes? I Oh, absolutely they do. And I think you said it, Greg. I think it's going to come down to the three-point line. Princeton has four guys who have made 60 or more threes. I don't think I've ever seen that uh, in college. You have Creighton, who has six guys who have made 20 or more threes. So you have two teams that can really shoot the ball well from the three-point line. Whatever team defends the three-point line, and again, to your point about Princeton, you know, I think Creighton can guard and they can play multiple ways. And I think that's one of the reasons why I like Creighton here. And because they can play slow if they have to, they can value possessions. Um, If you want to play up and down with them, they'll go up and down. So I do think that really helps Creighton. And I think coming out of the Big East and playing against some smash mouth teams, uh, as well as some teams that play fast. But I think this is a game that Princeton can win. However, I think Creighton, moves on in a very, very highly contested game, tough game. And I think, again, the storyline is going to be who defends the three-point line better than the other and who makes more threes. 
I would agree that it's hard for me to see Creighton not coming out on top in this one. But then again, I didn't pick Princeton to beat Arizona and wouldn't have seen in a million years the Sweet 16 appearance. So, you know, it is what it is. We got here for a reason and a lot of people were wrong. But uh, Creighton, the way that they played against Baylor and made the two years ago national champs and one of the top teams in the country the previous year made them look like they very much didn't belong in the sweet 16. I think that needs to be put on notice as well. Last game of the round Friday night, we got Xavier versus Texas. And Oh, I like this one because Xavier made a lot of fans nervous in their first round matchup against Kennesaw state, but then they looked great against Pitt and very much like a team that could get past Texas and possibly more. Texas, meanwhile, steady and consistent. Rodney Terry's done a tremendous job as the interim head coach, and his 27 years of coaching experience really does show by how he handles this group. Xavier, Texas, what do you think of Coach? I'll tell you what, this is going to be a very interesting game. Texas is just so physically talented uh, and imposing in terms of you know, a team that can play so many different ways. They've got so many different weapons. Uh, you know, DeSue has really developed here into a great two-way player, not only a great rebounder, but a guy that presents all kinds of problems from whether it's perimeter to post, where he takes you from the perimeter, goes into the post and scores, whether he catches it off a pick and pop, makes a play for himself or a teammate. Um, He's a matchup nightmare. And I think he's the difference right now uh, in this game, you know, in terms of what Texas is going to have to do to beat uh, Xavier. But I just think if you ask me, I love Coach Sean Miller. And listen, Coach Terry's done an incredible job. You have to tip your hat to him. Um, But Coach Sean Miller's been there. He's done that on the big stage. Um, And I think there's a a little bit of of a subplot there, right? You know, he's been in these positions at at places uh, throughout his career as both an assistant and head coach. So if you're asking me who to take in this game, I'm going to take a slight advantage um, I'm going to go with Xavier for the upset. But again, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Texas and Houston play to get to the final four. Okay, so we're liking the three seeds here. We got Gonzaga slightly edging UCLA, Xavier over Texas. I will say that selfishly, uh, besides my bracket and all the personal picks I made, I would love a Houston versus Texas Elite Eight matchup. I think that would be so fun. That said, Free basketball is free basketball. So if it's Xavier, if it's Miami, I'm not going to complain about it either. But I think Houston and Texas, that would be a matchup I'd be fully tuned into and would love to watch every second of that one. You know, Greg, I'm an Aggie. I coached at Texas A&M. And so, you know, for those that are watching that realize or recognize the rivalry between the Aggies and the Longhorns, you know, the, the Longhorns are, you know, horns up in terms of how they present it. And the Aggies are horns down. And so it's tough for a Texas A&M guy, but again, um, to root for, for, for Texas. But at the same time, I'm like you. It's just great story, and you're rooting for all the kids. But I, I just think this is a game that, again, it could go either way, but I'm going to stick with Xavier. Okay. Very, very nice. That was a good little run through down the eight matchups. And, uh, I mean, you've been so awesome with your time. But before I officially wrap this one up, I know you do – a lot of NBA analysis as well. And Chris Middleton 
and DeAndre Jordan are just a couple of players that you have coached. Chris Middleton is an NBA champion, and his team looks very much primed to make another run at the Larry O'Brien Trophy. As of right now, who would your NBA Finals prediction be? Well, I tell you, Greg, I think it's wide open in the NBA this year. I just, you know, look, Milwaukee's obviously had to deal with a lot of injuries. Chris has been out and, you know, he's gone through a rough time here. His, his dad passed away, um, you know, early in the season. Uh, you know, I was very close to his dad, James. What a great man, quality man. We lost a good man and Chris's dad. Um, but it's been a tough road for Milwaukee just in terms of all the injuries. But I do think as a coach, you know, whether it's the NBA, whether it's college, whether it's high school, the old adage of great players are made in the offseason, great teams are made in season. It's because you go through those adversity type situations and it builds your character and your team. Other guys have to step up. Other guys get more experience. Other guys are used more in different places. So if you ask me today in a very wide open NBA, uh, you know, championship. I'm going to stick with Milwaukee because they've gone through a lot of adversity um, in the East and in the West. Look, I mean, I think you've got to, you can't discount, although Golden State, again, they've had their ups and downs, you know, once a champion, always a champion. I just think you're going to have to dethrone them, you know, to, uh, for, for anyone else to, for, for me to believe anything else could happen. I, I think you're still looking at potentially a Milwaukee Golden State finals at least today that could change the example that i always like to bring up when it comes to nba playoffs is that year when phoenix was up and coming and they were the two seed in the west and the lakers were the seven seed in the west and even though they were the seven it was like we got to beat lebron james four times and anthony (laughs) davis got injured in the middle of the series and had that not happened maybe the lakers would have gotten past it but So I get what you're saying where it's like you still have to dethrone Giannis four times. You have to beat Steph Curry four times. Stars are going to show up. I think if Kevin Durant gets healthy and his ankle is all good for the playoffs, then I see Phoenix as probably the clear favorite to get through if they have their guys healthy. But I do like the fact that the NBA is a lot more wide open than it's been in years past. And I am saying this as a NorCal guy and a Warriors fan, I think it's going to be so fun. And that in the past, sometimes it's those first round series where you're just kind of like, eh, okay, I'll start paying attention in the second round this year. The first round series are going to be good too. Yeah, I agree with you. I do. I, I'm, you know, again, I think maybe Greg from, for all we maybe need to revisit this a little bit later on, come, you know, the end of April, May, cause you know, so, uh, March, I mean, excuse me, May it's, there's so many matchups that could occur in terms of first round, second round that we don't really quite know yet in terms of who finishes where in the standings. But again, uh, I do agree with you. I think it's wide open this year. Oh, especially in the West where it's just like seeds four through 12. It's just like a two and a half game crunch. So uh, I have no idea what the bracket's going to look like, but I can't wait. And it's coming up and the sweet 16 starts tomorrow and resumes Friday. Coach Spinelli, thank you so much for coming on the show. This was great. Great. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be on the show with you. I had a fun time. And uh, again, have a great night. Hey, you as well. We'll have to do this again. And for all you listeners, you can follow him on Twitter at Coach underscore Spinelli. 
This guy knows a ton about the game, so you don't have to listen to me, but definitely listen to what he had to say. Uh, as always, go watch your basketball, place your bets, have fun with your money, and please, please do not stop. Keep screaming. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.